The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. So, uh, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Video Insiders podcast. I'm Dror Gill, and with me as usual, my co-host, Mark Donegan. Hey, Mark. Hello, Dror. How are you today? I'm good. I can't wait for my walking desk. Ah, yeah, you just told me that it's, it's coming, it's coming. I see, I'm very excited. You would, think, you would think I was getting a new car or something. Yeah. No, no, you know, when, when you work from home, things like a walking desk are like, oh, yeah, wow, that's cool. Yeah, definitely. So next episode, maybe while you're talking, you're walking, <laughs> and we won't even <laughs> yeah. know about it, right? <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how much noise that, uh, that's that makes. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, awesome, awesome. I'm really excited for you as well. And I'm also excited about today's episode because we have some very cool uh, technology that's making uh, wonders in uh, video delivery. So today we are very happy to welcome Michael Shapira, who is the founder and chief scientist of Compira Labs. Hi, Michael, and welcome to our podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. All right. Welcome, Michael. It's really great to have you here. So... Um, Uh, I, I just recalled, you know, when we were preparing for the podcast that, uh, Michael, we met when we were standing side by side, very nervous, waiting for the visit of uh, the chairman of AT&T, uh, right? He, he had a visit in Israel and AT&T Labs organized a few startups to present some exciting technologies. Yeah, we, we were doing this demo. You would have thought the president was visiting. Do you remember how they had like an advanced team? that came to check everything out. And I mean, it was, do you remember that, Michael? It was very well organized. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And uh, Beamer was um, uh, demonstrating our technology for optimizing the video stream uh, itself. And uh, uh, Michael and the team from Compira was uh, demonstrating the technology for optimizing the delivery. But I believe that at that time, uh, it wasn't even Compira, right? It was pre-Compira. Right. This was actually pre-Compira Labs. This was still when it was in the academic stage. Okay, so, so the idea actually came when you were working at the university on some research? Right, yeah. My background is in research. I'm a professor of computer science at Hebrew U. And my research focuses on the interface of machine learning and networking. And this specific technology is, is about what is a perennial challenge, maybe the perennial challenge of networking, which is rate control is how fast should traffic be transmitted by traffic sources at each and every point in time. And, and this was, at the time, we were still working on the, on the technology. And at some point it matured and, and Compira Labs came out of it. So basically you don't want to transmit too slow because then you're not filling the whole channel that you have. And you don't want to send too much data because then you're overloading the channel, right? Exactly. The, the issue is that in... For applications like video streaming, but this is true for, for cloud gaming, for video conferencing, the, the content has to traverse a network that's often chaotic, that's often congested. There's competition with other services and other users. And if you don't track the available bandwidth by sending just fast enough to take advantage of the bandwidth, but not too fast, then you're bound to provide suboptimal quality of experience. For instance, if I send too fast when it comes to video streaming, 
then I might overwhelm the network, data will be lost, data will be delayed, and this might manifest in, uh, uh, you know, that dreaded rebuffering wheel. But if I don't send fast enough, I simply can't, won't be able to support HD, certainly not 4K or 8K or, or whatever's next because I'm not sending sufficient data to, to support high resolutions. The network is constantly changing. If you don't adapt extremely quickly, that is at, at the granularity of milliseconds, right? You, you might not recover from that. It's really interesting because um, you're pointing out that the optimization of how the video is actually encoded is one component, but the network's the other component. And for a lot of us working in video, you know, there's a lot of companies and a lot of marketing and information and research papers and everything on that first part. So the video coding, video compression uh, stage. But I don't know, Dror, correct me if I'm wrong. We rarely hear someone talking about this, about the network optimization. Right. The network and the delivery. I hear it mainly in the, the application, which uh, Michael mentioned, uh, which is cloud gaming. In cloud gaming, because you have so many constraints such as uh, uh, delay and quality and uh, and the bitrate and the network is changing. So um, that's uh, especially critical in those type of uh, applications. But, uh, but also for live video, um, and I guess also for on-demand, you want to fill the channel, right? You're certainly right that for, for applications like video conferencing, cloud gaming, and so on, where there's a, a crucial real-time component, uh, uh, this problem is aggravated, but but this problem is very much present even in in you know traditional VOD. So there, there was a study from Princeton a few years back that was covered by the Wall Street Journal, and and they showed something that I thought was astounding, which is in the U.S., even if you're a premium tier subscriber of internet access, that is, even if you have 250 megabits per second to the home. On average, you watch Netflix content and Amazon content in HD less than 40% of the time. And if you were to replace that with 4K, I'm assuming this would be single-digit numbers. And, and the reason is having 250 megabits per second is like widening the mouth of a pipe. You can't get more water through. There's, a, there's a, this last mile network between the content and the, the client, the video client. And, and if you don't contend with uh, different challenges that arise throughout that pipe, then you won't be able to support high resolution. I see. So basically, you had this uh, idea on how this can be um, uh, improved. And what the technology is doing is learning the rate of the network and the, the way in which bandwidth is constantly changing and adapting the delivery uh, to that. Right. In essence, it's exactly that. Maybe I should start with, with what we identified as the root cause for, for this state of affairs, which was that today it's somehow obvious that content should be personalized, but the way that content is delivered across the network is not. That is, the mechanisms we, we use to decide how fast to send, and, and by this I mean, I don't mean adaptive bitrate selection as in video streaming at the application layer. I mean... The sender, every few milliseconds, has to adapt its sending rate to match whatever it is that the network can accommodate. And, and the mechanisms we use are one-size-fits-all. They're completely oblivious to the quality of experience requirements of the service running on top, even though, for instance, video conferencing and VOD are very different animals in terms of what they want from the network. 
if you suffer two seconds uh, delay in, in traditional VOD, but then can support very high throughput, then that's amazing. But in, in, in video conferencing, for instance, a two second delay would make everything unbearable. But they also don't adapt to different network environments. That is, we use the same mechanisms for both 5G and wired connections to the smart TV, right? Even though, once again, there's no reason to expect the same recipe to work equally well or even well, right, across the board. Right. So those networks behave completely differently. And uh, today they are treated just like, you know, a pipe, an um, IP pipe that uh, that uh, behaves the same. And, and you're talking about the behavior not at the application layer, not at the ABR layer, selecting which stream, but underneath that, at, at the lower protocol level, right? Exactly. So mapping this to the seven-layer model or the, the five-layer model that we love so much in networking, this is the transport layer and not the application layer. This is beneath the, the video player. This is the mechanism that decides at each and every point in time how fast data, and I, by this I mean data packets, should be injected into the network interconnecting the, the for instance, video cache and uh, the, end, the end user. Okay, so, so let me see if I understand this correctly. Um, if I'm doing ABR streaming, then, for example, I can select between 4 megabit stream and a 2 megabit stream based on the network bandwidth. But this bandwidth is an average bandwidth. So let's say I detect it's 2 megabits per second average. I need to send 2 megabits per second uh, stream uh, to the user. But uh, I'm not sending uh, it at a constant rate of 2,000 bits every second. I'm sending it in packets. And what you're looking at is exactly how to time those packets. Yeah. And this distinction between ABR, between adaptive bitrate at the client and the transport layer decisions being made about how fast to inject packets at the sender side is something that we are, we are constantly um, asked about. And, and this is a very important distinction because, as you mentioned, the, the timescales are completely different, right? We're talking about seconds versus milliseconds. But I think that the more important distinction is that what you do at the client takes the network as a given. The client doesn't decide how fast packets are going to be injected. It reacts to whatever it is that the sender side did. So for instance, if I notice that it takes me too long to download a video chunk to ask for the next one in HD, I will have to settle for SD. What we do is, is try to, to make the best use of this network pipe. And this would provide video clients with the ability to request video chunks in higher resolutions to not be starved and experience rebuffering and so on. Because they would sense the network as having a higher bandwidth. Yeah, and, and lower latency and lower packet loss rates and, and so on. And, and going back to the, the crucial challenge here, which was the one-size-fits-all uh, approach, uh, what our solution does is it consists of two components, one running at the edge, this resides where the content is. So think of a video cache or, or an edge node of, of a CDN. And what this does is the real-time optimization of the sending rate. And this is based on the academic research I mentioned before, which was joint work by my team at Hebrew U and researchers at UIUC at the University of Illinois. Uh, and it employs ideas from online learning to constantly adapt the sending rate. 
But the other component, which is, is at least as important, is this centralized brain. You can think of this as a, a big data analytics engine that constantly collects statistics for the purpose of customizing the behavior of the first component to the network and to the service. So that over time, you know, the, the way you stream video uh, in Barcelona across a mobile network doesn't, doesn't look exactly the same way that you uh, do video conferencing in New York City, for instance. So that's really interesting what you just said, Michael. So is it that the network has kind of heuristics such that you can somewhat accurately predict that at certain times of the day or under certain conditions, and you know, I, I'll put that in quotes, whatever those conditions are, that, that you can somewhat accurately predict what the behavior is going to be? Or because I, I feel like a network is a random thing, especially as it gets like, how in the world can you model that? But so, so this is, this is a very good point because our learning based approach isn't based on predictions per se. That is we're not trying to say, you know, the way the network behaved yesterday at 8 PM is exactly the same way it will behave today, but we do leverage empirical data using ideas from reinforcement learning and online learning to adjust to trends that we see. That is, even if you don't expect things to behave exactly the same way and for predictions to be extremely accurate, there's no reason, for instance, why you should be surprised by the Super Bowl every year, right? There, there's certainly diurnal patterns. There are certainly weekly patterns. And in addition, suppose that you're constantly watching Netflix movies that are delivered to you from the same point of presence. Right? There's no reason that each and every time such a movie is sent to you, the transport layer connection rediscover the world again, right? which is what happens now. Th this, I would argue, is, is, is the intuition here, that there's a lot of data that one can leverage for customizing to specific networks and to specific services. This might not mean that you predict accurately everything, but, but it, it does mean that you can achieve much, much better results. As you said, it's certainly better than just starting over each time <laughs> with each session, you know, uh, assuming no learning at all. Uh, I'm curious, do you find that networks behave? And, and again, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say my definition in terms of this discussion of a network. So, you know, I think of like in the telco or MVPD world, um, you know, like Comcast or AT&T, you know, those, those are networks. And then of course there is, you know, the, you know, there's the Akamai's, the CDNs, et cetera. But do you find that, I mean, just for sake of argument, Comcast compared to AT&T or, you know, Akamai is a CDN compared to whatever, do they behave similarly? You know, uh, it, it, do you find that in your research or have you found that? So you don't even expect different points of presence of the same CDN to behave the same way, which I think why there's so much value in customization. For instance, we are deployed at scale currently at, at one major player in the U.S. And we were surprised by the variability across points of presence. And in some cases, the content is being transmitted over a 5G network with end-to-end -end latency of, say, one milliseconds. In other cases, it's being transmitted over someone else's network, which is obviously a completely different network environment. 
in terms of the bandwidth you have available, the end-to-end latency, the competition with others. And this was one instance in which the ability to behave differently at different points of presence and even within the same server to behave differently for, say, mobile users and, and wired users proved extremely valuable. Interesting. So what does the integration of your technology um, look like? So, you know, somebody wants to adopt it. Um, what needs to be done? Uh, yet another excellent question because, you know, graveyards are filled with... Uh, with great ideas uh, and... Uh, with great <laughs> ideas and, and specifically with great ideas for replacing these specific mechanisms and the researchers that who invented them. Um, but, but one, so one thing that we were able to figure out, which, which proved extremely conducive here was that there's actually no need to change anything within the network that is routers or switches and so on. And there's also no need to change the receiving end. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Cause, cause that, that would, that would be a, 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 a completely different game deployment wise. So, so our solution is a software only solution. You replace one module at the sender side only. This is transport layer, which is important. So for it, we don't know what's running on top of us in the sense that we reside under the encryption and encoding and, 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 uh, and so on and so forth. And we just make the decisions regarding how fast to send based on the quality of experience requirements of the service. So in terms of deployment, this is actually very seamless. And in, in many of the locations where we were deployed, because of uh, you know, the, the COVID era, we were actually not present uh, uh, physically. And this was done by the, the, the customers themselves, and it was a very simple process. So it's a software uh, installation. It's a software installation. It's, it's basically just one module that you, uh, that you install. It doesn't uh, involve any changes to the video player or the video client. It doesn't change the network in any way. It doesn't change the receiving end in any way. So, so in, in that sense, it's fairly easy to do. And um, when you install it, I guess there's probably some stage that uh, you do kind of, uh, of a POC for the customer. So how do you show the value? What kinds of uh, measurements or analysis can you do uh, on the delivery, on the experience, so that the customer can very quickly uh, realize the value of the solution? So one, one very nice thing about video streaming as, as opposed to, uh, to other services and applications is that we have these objective, well-defined metrics right, for, for determining how well we're doing. Uh, how how long did it take the video to start? What was the average uh, bit rate? Uh, what's the lag behind live? Um, how much time did I spend rebuffering? So typically, uh, the way this works is the customer does some some form of, of A/B testing. For instance, in in one of our deployments, we were deployed on one server, and the default. Uh, mechanism was running on a different server, and there was load balancing between the servers to ensure that uh, everything else is is uh, the same. And that customer was using uh, Conviva to actually get direct information about the quality of experience as perceived by the video client. And in that specific case, we were able to support 40% more sessions in HD than the other server, and we reduced the rebuffering time also by uh, 30 to 50% in different locations. 
Wow, that's really a non-brainer. I mean, you see more HD, you can measure how many sessions are SD, HD, 4K. So uh, seems uh, like an e- easy win, but it's never it never is, right, Mark? It never is. <laughs> that's <easy> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But y- you know, I was really impressed. I-, I was looking at your at your case study, the streaming uh, video case study, and it's really impressive because it's a story that we've told um, from really the very beginning is the value of optimization, you know, yes, there's the savings component. And certainly I I think everybody today is a little more cost and operationally cost sensitive than they were maybe a few years ago. But we also used to really emphasize the increase in quality. And uh, I just think it's really remarkable that your 540p sessions dropped by almost the same amount that your 1080p sessions increased you know, and your 720p sessions were almost static. So it was very clear to me that you were moving people up the the resolution ladder, which implies better quality. I mean, I, you know, I know it's debatable. There's device questions and all that, but I found that really, really interesting. And you're doing that while delivering uh, ultimately greater efficiency. So it's not like you were just jamming the network with more bits, you know, um, right? and reducing rebuffering at the same time. So... Yeah, really, really remarkable results. So can you share with us more uh, information or more data? If there are names you can't disclose, that that's fine. But, you know, types of, of operators that you're working with and how they are deploying you and, you know, things like that. Right. So, so we have projects with various uh, uh, players in, in the video streaming market. Some are, you know, pure play CDNs, just uh, delivering content for others, while others are content providers that distribute their own content. And as I mentioned before, while deployment is is somewhat different naturally, once you transition from one player to the other, um, the essence is the same, which is there's two components to our solution, as I mentioned. One is this module that you install at the edge where the, the video is cached. And the other is this centralized engine that's in the cloud. It might be the organization's private cloud. It might be the, the, the public cloud. And the way this works is that often, for instance, uh, one would start with simple lab experiments. And then at some point we start with the A-B testing and before reaching uh, large-scale uh, deployment. And the way this typically works is that initially you see a boost in, in quality of experience just resulting from the fact that we've replaced the traditional algorithms with uh, this online learning real-time optimization scheme. But then as time goes by, there's additional improvements in performance because the centralized engine is customizing the configuration of the edge. It's continuously adapting the configuration to the prevailing network conditions at different locations and to the services and the quality of experience requirements of the services running on top. And as noted in that case study, the the improvements have been dramatic. And even in networks that are perceived as excellent from a video streaming perspective, like 5G, right? these are still volatile networks. And and in 5G environments, for instance, we were able to reduce rebuffering time by, by almost 60%. Because even though there's a lot of bandwidth, there's significant challenges still. The network is still volatile. Bandwidth might uh, decrease or increase uh, uh, very quickly. And also, extremely low latency is, is 
may be good for data delivery, but it's not good for rate selection because you have to make decisions extremely quickly regarding what your next rate should be. So, so there were various algorithmic challenges that we had to tackle in that context as well. We mentioned cloud gaming, and uh, I, I would I would love to you know I'd love to talk about the cloud gaming use case. And I noted on your on your website that you know you even specifically call out cloud gaming as an ideal application. So tell us about that application because cloud gaming is very different than e- even just live streaming. Google has written a fair amount, and of course they've developed their own version of Quick, and they're deploying that in Stadia. And um, that is, I, I think, their major component, although I'm sure you can explain to us some more about, you know, what they're really doing there, but of how they are approaching solving this problem. So cloud gaming is, is indeed even more challenging than video streaming because there's the, the, the issue that you have to provide extremely high responsiveness by the service. There's the, the latency issue, but you still want to deliver a lot of data and support high resolutions. And this is an adjacent market that we're also targeting. And we're actually now, um, we, we now have a working version of our solution in Quick, and now working on one in WebRTC, which is also used in this context. And, and there's a lot of, naturally, a lot of effort has been devoted to addressing these problems, but Quick, WebRTC, SRT, and so on, they're additional UDP-based transport platforms. But if you want to address this problem, you still need something like our solution to be embedded within. That is, you still need something to react to the network and apply an algorithm for adapting the sending rate. And the solutions that's out there now are still one size fits all in that context as well. So this is, this is one of the major innovations that we can bring to that market because the same problems arise. I may have various game servers at various locations serving a lot of different users. The requirements in terms of performance are now only higher. And if I behave the same way for everyone, then chances are I'm not not doing that well anywhere. Yeah, exactly. So again, thinking of Google and Stadia, is it that, you know, Google being Google and they basically have built their own uh, control layer? Is, is is that what you're saying? And, and you now have a commercial solution for the rest of us. And maybe also for Google. Ah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. Perfect. But, but yeah, naturally there's, there's uh Google has been dealing with these problems and there's, there's uh, remarkable solutions that came out of, uh, of Google, not only in the, in the cloud uh, gaming context, but even in the video streaming context, Netflix and, and uh, YouTube are running on, on uh, Google's in-house solution, which is called BBR. But from our experience, there's still a lot to be gained when it comes to quality of experience because Google's BBR, similarly to TCP, though it's a more advanced algorithm, is still one size fits all. And it's, it's very hard. It's not even clear how to customize it to different services and to different network environments. And, and our view is that this is essential if you want to provide good quality of experience, certainly for, for tomorrow's services, but also for today's services. This is what we're already experiencing in, in video streaming and in, in uh, cloud gaming. So, so BBR is, is a low-level um, protocol, right? It's not like a low-latency SEMA for HLS or SRT. It's something really at the TCP level. 
Exactly. It's also at the transport layer, similarly to our real-time optimizer. And, and it does congestion control. And it does congestion control, yeah. But not as sophisticated as what you are doing. It's a, it's a very clever algorithm. There is naturally amazing engineers working at Google. I would say that the main distinction here is that the algorithmic framework is very different. And, and we believe that our framework, which leverages online learning tools, is much better suited for the last mile which is a chaotic environment and an unpredictable environment, uh, which is extremely hard to reverse engineer. And also that BBR can't customize. That is, this is a one, still a one-size-fits-all solution, more sophisticated than TCP, but still something that you, you basically use as is, whether it's 5G or wired and whether it's uh, you know, video streaming or VOD. Can you elaborate a bit on online learning? Because I'm not sure all of our listeners are familiar with this particular uh, genre of uh, machine learning or deep learning. So online learning, is a, there's a very rich body of literature in, in game theory and, and mathematical theory and machine learning theory on what's known as online learning. It has many names, multi-armed bandits and contextual bandits. But, but the, the basic model is you have a decision maker or an agent that must constantly select and repeatedly select between different available actions. And only after the fact does it learn the implications of its selection of action for performance. And, and this is one of our key observations in the research phase of, of the solution was that this is very appropriate in the context of rate selection for the last mile. And, and the reason is that you're dealing with this black box that is really hard to reason about. You have very limited visibility into what's going on because uh, if I'm Amazon or Google and I'm sending traffic across someone else's network, I don't know who I'm competing with. I don't even know what my path is. I certainly don't know the, the link characteristics of each and every link I'm traversing. Uh, so I'm basically making decisions and they, then based on the feedback I'm getting from the other end, I need to adapt my rate. And, and luckily for us, in, in this body of literature, there's a lot of very clever algorithms that attain non-trivial guarantees, both local guarantees for the individual connection, but also global guarantees. For instance, if I'm streaming 100 video streams from the same server, I don't want one to starve the others. right? I want them to quickly converge to a fair rate configuration. So this is one other thing that we can provably guarantee when we use ideas from that literature. So the training and, and the inference, they actually uh, happen all the time? They happen online? So, so that's, that's an important point. So as I mentioned, there's two components. One is the real-time component at the edge that makes decisions at the granularity of milliseconds regarding the rates. This has no training phase. So this is, this is an algorithm that constantly makes uh, decisions based on what it experiences, the, the network feedback it's getting. The other component is where the more traditional machine learning that people typically talk about occurs. So online learning happens at the edge, whereas the other component, which is a much slower feedback loop, you should think of this as it reconfigures the first component every several hours days, maybe even weeks, 
This is based on collecting statistics, applying statistical machine learning tools, and so on to, to figure out what changes to the configuration at different locations and for different connections might do better in terms of quality of experience than the current configuration. Mm-hmm. And because it's working slowly, you can run it on a CPU. You don't need a GPU or a machine learning accelerator. Right. It, it's working more slowly. You, you could use GPUs, and in, in many contexts we do. But, but here, this is not, even for instance, if the connection between this big data analytics engine in the cloud and the edge component was severed, nothing would happen. It has no real-time impact. This is something that digests statistics in the background and occasionally leverages the insights it reached to change the configuration of the, the real-time rate optimization at the edge. And basically, everything we're talking about, uh, on, on one hand, you said it's, it's on the transport layer, it's, it's a low-level uh, handling of the protocol and the packets, and you're unaware of what's happening on top. But on the other hand, you're constantly talking about video. So how do you even know if it's a video packet, and can you also optimize other types of, of data flows, or do you even need to optimize them? Right. So we, we leverage two types of data. So the component running at the edge is purely transport layer. This, this is based on you send packets, you get feedback for, for packets sent from the other end, and you employ this online learning algorithm to continuously adapt the rate. But the way in which the configuration of this component is changed by the central element can also leverage data that pertains to the, for instance, video client. In, in some of our live deployments, for instance, we're being provided by the customer information from, say, Conviva or other such players regarding the resulting quality of experience at the client. And then we can also use that information to, over time, change the configuration of the edge. And the same approach would work for other services like cloud gaming, uh, virtual reality, even autonomous vehicles exchanging information or downloading maps, so long as you're sending bulk data. It has to be a lot of data because, because we want to continuously and, and constantly sense the network by sending traffic across the network. And so long as there's a, a concrete notion of what good quality of experience means which luckily for us in, in video streaming, cloud gaming, and so on is, is obvious. Right. And also, what about VDI, uh, remote uh, terminals? Right. So that's actually another thing that we've been looking closely into recently, because once again, you have this thing in the cloud, and you want things to, to behave seamlessly, and you want the network to be transparent. But that means that you have to adjust the way you send traffic to support the specific requirements of that service. So this is, this is one of the things we've been looking into, actually. Now, I noticed that you're publishing a streaming status report, which I think is really cool. I'm wondering if you can tell us more about where that data comes from, uh, you know, how it's compiled. So we were basically using the data that we collected ourselves uh, at the transport layer, that is by sending the traffic, but also the data regarding the video clients themselves that, that was provided to us. And, and, and that way we could correlate. We could correlate the network behavior with the application level quality of experience. 
Well, um, at drawer, we definitely should link up to this because, uh, I, I also found some very interesting, uh, uh results here. We all know that everything's mobile, right? Everything's mobile. Yeah. I mean, even your desk is mobile, right, Mark? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, my desk moves even. <laughs> no, I, I found that interesting. Less than 10% on mobile devices. Wow. Less than 10% of video consumption is happening on mobile? Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. And the watch time, uh, it, that, that's not surprising. I mean, uh, 25 minutes on a mobile device compared to 90 minutes on a, on a big screen TV. And, and that just intuitively makes sense. But then here's another one drawer. Streaming through the mobile network, 50% of those sessions were actually going to a big screen. So the data was coming from the mobile network, but the viewing was happening on a big screen. That's really interesting to me. This, this is one of the things that we found most surprising. And it also may, may be the strangest because not only are you sending over a less reliable, more volatile network, where the chances of bad quality of experience are higher, but also you may even be capped in terms of the maximum bitrate that, that you can get by the provider, meaning that you you have this smart TV that's capable of, I don't know, <laughs> giving you 4K and 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 just the fact that you're not using a wired connection means that you're never going to get 4K. Yeah, and the mobile operator will sometimes throttle you because they think that it's being consumed on a mobile screen, but it's not. In the US, uh, T-Mobile has had a plan, and I actually, and I'm a T-Mobile customer. I, I don't even know if it's still active. Um, I think they give you an option now, but they call it binge on. And, and basically it's unlimited streaming. So, you know, that's a great consumer benefit, but it's capped at 480p, or I think maybe, maybe some services is 720p, but, um, which of course makes sense. You know, um, a lot of consumer advocates were up in arms and, you know, <laughs> trying to create a stink around that, but you can understand if you're going to give free, you know, basically free streaming and you're not going to ding your, um, it's going to cost uh, a lot of money to the operator. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's super, super interesting. The other thing that I found interesting is relating to Netflix data as well, called the ISP Speed Index. You report uh, towards the end here that even for uh, premium internet subscribers with bandwidth of you know 250 megabits or, or higher, like only 40% are getting HD. That is actually work that came out of uh, Nick Feimster's group. Uh, that's the Princeton study. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I know that some people have been running such experiments with 4K. And as you would expect, right, that the numbers go down to uh, 2%, 4%, right? Because there's no reason to expect them to be higher if, if, if this is the situation for HD. And so this leads me to the Netflix ISP speed index. It has always surprised me when you look at it, and, and I haven't looked at it in quite some time, so I, in preparation here, I actually went and pulled it up, and you know, I think monthly they update the numbers, and they, they basically haven't changed in like seven years or something. Um, you know, the top network in the US is around three and a half megabits per second, and you look at this data and you say, how is this possible? So I wonder if you can give some 
you know, color around this and what it means, because the ramification is in the video industry, we're always trying to push resolution. Of course, there's also a, a heavy push towards like content adaptive technologies and advanced codecs, HEVC, AV1, maybe VVC, et cetera, that of course allow us to do a, a much more efficient job of reducing bit, bit rate, but still, you get to a point where you need more than three and a half megabits. And if, you know, if the majority of your customers are only going to be able to get three and a half, four megabits per second, well, that's not going to work very well. I think that this is precisely the problem we're targeting. That is going back to the study you mentioned, I may have 250 megabits per second to the home. Supporting HD just requires something like eight megabits per second, maybe 10 megabits per second. So why am I incapable of doing this most of the time on average? Um, it's because the bottleneck lies elsewhere. It's because the, the entrance to your home is not where the problem is. It's because there's a lot of competition along the way. And, and what we try to do is, is to adapt the way that you change your sending rates to take advantage of available bandwidth, to, to minimize the latency across the network, to not suffer uh, extensive packet losses. And what we've seen, and, and this I think is what accounts for the, the improvements in, in terms of quality of experience that I mentioned before, is that we can, we can achieve much more in terms of throughput, uh, latency, uh, packet loss, and so on than, than the existing approaches which would eventually translate to a better quality of experience because now the application can take advantage of the fact that it has a better view of the network. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about the challenges that, that you are facing when you're going to sell the solution, when you're integrating with a customer. Where do you find the pain points? What do we find is most difficult on the way to, to close that dream deal? So I can tell you about some of the challenges that we've been dealing with from, from both a, a technical perspective and a business perspective since, since our inception. From a technical perspective, I think the challenges are fairly obvious because this sort of started as a, a research prototype evaluated in, in very specific lab conditions that are typically used in, in, in these kinds of studies for the purpose of an academic publication. But once you unleash this thing, on real world networks in the wild yeah in the wild suddenly you realize that you didn't model a lot of things that you should have modeled and and this was uh, a very important educational experience for me as well as a as an academic researcher to, to see how much of reality we wasn't captured by our initial models um, and, and this involved contending with a lot of algorithmic problems across time and, and, uh, and, and a lot of implementation issues uh, that we had to deal with. And the second technical challenge is the, um, the machine learning challenge for the central component, because there's a lot of data available, which is a good thing and a bad thing, uh, because it's a good thing for the obvious reason, and, but you also need to scale to deal with it. Uh, for instance, if a large streaming provider might have thousands of streams leaving the same server at the same time. And we collect data about these streams at the granularity of less than a second. So that's a lot of data that you want to somehow aggregate and crunch and, 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 and so on. So, so we've had to 
work quite a bit on how to derive insights from such data in a way that scales and, and, and uh, doesn't have a single point of failure and so on. And from a business perspective, luckily, we, we, we never encounter the, the challenge of explaining why this is important. In, in, in today's world, it's obvious to everyone why a uh, good quality of experience is, is a must if you want your service to persist. That is something that was uh, very helpful, but there is uh, always the, the issue of, of explaining where exactly we fit, right? And, and how our approach differs from, from other approaches. And our argument is always that this is, this is sort of the root cause to a large extent, right? It's, it's the network. It complements other solutions and you have to have such a thing in place if you want to provide good quality of experience. But in order for the customer to appreciate it, and the customer needs to have kind of a deep technical knowledge into the networking, you know, to, to really acknowledge and appreciate that what you're saying is actually true. Right. So, that, so that's true. So naturally, customers are all over the spectrum when, when it comes to um, technical expertise. But I think that one thing that, and we talked about this before, I think that one thing that works to our advantage is that POCs here are very easy to launch, and it's very easy to quantify the benefits. And it's obvious to everyone what the metrics for quantifying the benefits are. So, so you can fairly quickly, as a, as a customer, figure out whether this indeed results in, in dramatic improvements for you or not. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, it's just a, a matter of integration, um, budget, um, they, pr they probably ask you a lot about reliability and uh, failover and yeah, what happens if you take my whole network down or I don't know what. <laughs> right. So, so naturally we've, uh, we've conducted a lot of experiments and have a lot of mechanisms in place for, for this to be as safe as possible. Yeah, of course. So what, what's next for, for Compare Labs? Are you uh, planning a funding round or are you going to look at uh, additional market segments? Where, where are you going from here? So, well, I guess like any startup where we're always looking for funding opportunities and, and uh, your listeners are, of course, uh, <laughs> welcome to, uh, to uh, provide some. Always raise money, even especially when you don't need money. Yeah, that's the best time. <laughs> that's the best time to raise. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard that advice. That sounds like a clever uh, piece of advice. Um, yeah, we're, we're constantly growing, both in terms of the, the R&D and, and uh, our sales and marketing team is, is growing. Um, we expect to continue growing in the near future. Uh, in terms of, of the what's next, there's two things that we're focusing on. One is expanding into adjacent markets, like cloud gaming. As I mentioned, the technology itself is very generic. We chose video streaming as our go-to market because it's, it's huge and, and the pain is obvious. But there's a lot of uh, markets, some of which we've mentioned, like cloud gaming and VDI that are, that are out there that are experiencing similar, if not much more severe problems. And the other thing that we're, we're working hard on is enhancing our data analytics capabilities. There's a lot of data here, and we feel like we've only scratched the surface in terms of, uh, of what we can do with it. We use it to customize the, the rate selection, but there's naturally more work to do on, on the algorithms we use for that purpose. But also, what else could we be doing with this data? Ah, not only optimizing the delivery, but also using it for additional purposes. Right. 
even even today, one of the things that we're offering our customers is access to this data. And you can define queries or alerts and so on because we constantly collect these statistics and we have them available and, and we have this dashboard that you can use. But I feel like there's a lot more that we could and should be doing with this data. And I think, I think uh, in the future, we, we will need to come up with more ways for exploiting this data for the benefit of our customers. Yeah, definitely. Well, Michael, this has been uh, really a fascinating session. We learned a lot about video delivery and the way you optimize it. And it looks like a really amazing technology. And I wish you uh, all the best. Thank you very, very much. Thanks for inviting me. And this has been a genuine pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on the Video Insiders, Michael. It's great to have you. And best of luck. And we'll see you out there in the market. Uh, Looking forward to that. So thanks a lot. And everybody, until next time, we wish you happy encoding. Happy encoding. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders podcast. If you'd like to appear on the show, just send an email to thevideoinsiders at beamer.com. That's B-E-A-M-R.com with a brief description on what you're working on and why you think it's interesting for our audience. This podcast is sponsored by Beamer Imaging. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent.